Hey everybody and welcome to another edition of Coach's Corner. I really think you're going to dig my conversation today with my friend Jordan Harbinger and you might know him because he hosts one of the most popular podcasts out there, The Art of Charm, which I was lucky to be a guest on many years ago and not many, maybe two years ago when Expectation Hangover came out. Forbes named him one of the 50 best relationship builders anywhere and I can really attest to that. He's an amazing, amazing friend and champion of other people and he's just so accessible and relatable and he's also really really honest which you're going to hear on this podcast which I think is so refreshing. Um, Inc. Magazine has also called him the Charlie Rose of podcasting. A little more about Jordan. He has spent several years abroad in Europe and the developing world including South America, Eastern Europe, and the Middle East. He speaks five languages. He's worked for various governments, NGOs, traveled through war zones, and has been kidnapped twice. The only reason he's still alive and kicking is because of his ability to talk his way into and out of just about any type of situation. At The Art of Charm, his podcast and website, Jordan shares that experience and the system born as a result with his students and clients. So listen up to this awesome session with Jordan Harbinger. Hey, Jordan, thanks so much for being here today. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, and I know there's so much you can talk about. You're a top podcaster. You're an entrepreneur. You've talked about dating and relationship. You're a wealth of information. And so I was thinking, gosh, in the short amount of time, what can we really talk to Jordan about. And I wanted to piggyback on the last episode that I just um, aired this week with um, with Corey, which was really about how do you know when to make a change in your job or relationship? Like, how do you know when it's time to leave versus maybe it's you? And like, no matter what job you're in or what relationship you're in, you're still going to have like the same discontent. So how do we know when, whether to make that kind of external change or whether it's more the internal change to look at? Sure. So, I mean, this is kind of tough because it's very tempting in pretty much every single situation that we can find ourselves in to to succumb to the grass is always greener fallacy. So there's a lot of people in relationships or in careers that are like, hmm, this is the way it is now, but this other thing looks so great. And I see this with young entrepreneurs starting businesses I see that, or not just, not even young, just entrepreneurs with businesses in general. I see this in relationships and dating where every, especially men will date for a while and then go, mm, what else is going on? Do I really want to spend all my time with this person? And to a certain extent, that is completely normal because especially for high achievers and entrepreneurs and those types, we're always looking for something that's better ways to improve things that we have. Um, and it's very tempting to throw the baby out with the bathwater, especially when it comes to careers and relationships and say, this just isn't for me, as opposed to figuring out how to make really the best out of what you ha currently have. And so there's no cut and dried formula for this. However, it is there are a set of questions that you got to ask yourself if you find yourself in a career or situation and you're not sure if you want to stay. And so what I would encourage people to do is get out a sheet of paper and write this stuff down, uh, or an iPad, because it's 2016, but write these things down and do literally a pros and cons list where, uh, in different categories. So if I were deciding whether or not to leave a career, I might have different categories like, how do you feel about your boss? How do you feel about the other people that you work with? How do you feel about the people that work below you, above you? How do you feel about the environment that you work in? How, how's the work culture, the company culture? How about the work that you're actually doing? Because 
what you'll find out when you start to get detailed with this process is, oh, I actually really like the job that I'm in, the work that I'm in. I really don't like the company culture, even though I like some of my coworkers. And then it's like, oh, okay, well, maybe I don't have to quit being an attorney, but maybe I might want to look at being an attorney in a different firm. Or if you look at something like, well, I really like my coworkers and I really like the industry that I'm in, but I really don't like the hours and I really don't like the clients. Well, okay, again, you don't have to quit being an attorney, but you might want to work for a nonprofit or, or go in-house counsel where the hours are more sane and things like that. And the people that you work with are you know, going to be a similar caliber. And this is really important because I think a lot of people, what we do is we do this thing where it's like, I hate being a lawyer. And it's like, well, do you hate being a lawyer or do you hate working for a Wall Street finance sweatshop that doesn't care whether you live or die and just wants to work and squeeze as many hours out of you as you can? Therefore, everybody around you is miserable. Therefore, all the people that you work with are kind of in terrible moods all the time. Your boss is constantly under pressure. Like you can find the factors that are likely responsible for some of the other factors that are causing you to feel a certain way about what you are doing. So for me, when I worked on Wall Street as an attorney before I started the show and everything, or I actually started the show before I did that, um, I remember thinking, I don't, I don't want to be a, uh, a lawyer. And I knew that because I sat down and wrote, oh, I really do, you know, I, I don't like this job, but the hours aren't that bad because it's, it was an economic slump, 2007, 2008. So I was kind of not that overworked and I loved the people that I worked with and my bosses were pretty cool. And I just thought, why am I unhappy? Maybe I'm just not suited to be an employee of any kind. That's a really bad sign. I'm all depressed about that now, blah, blah, blah. But really it was, I just hate the work. I don't find any purpose in it. I don't find any meaning, any deep enough meaning in it. And that helped me figure out that I don't just want to, when, when they told us, uh, we're going to buy everybody out, they gave us nine months of salary and benefits as severance and everybody else went out and looked for new jobs. And my parents at that time, I was 27, 28 years old. They said, Oh, you got to find another job. And I had already started the art of charm and the art of charm podcast. It was going pretty strongly. And it turned out like, Oh, wait a second. You know, actually I don't want to find a new job in the legal field because I sat down and wrote all of this stuff out in an email. And I didn't invent this exercise. I wrote all of this stuff out in an email to a friends and family. And as I was writing the email, I got just so much clarity on it and I got a lot of responses. And then those responses helped elicit even more clarity. So take every factor you can into consideration, the boss, the coworkers, the environment, the geography where you are. I mean, maybe you don't want to live in a big city. Maybe you don't want to live, uh, or maybe you do, and you're in a small town right now. Maybe you can transfer. There's so much flexibility inside careers that just saying, oh, I hate working as a X, which might be our default, can be dangerous because what that leads to, and I didn't hear your call with Corey, but what that leads to is, oh, well, I don't want to do software engineering. I, I'm cut out to be an artist because you just think, I hate what I'm doing now. I want to do something else. And what I've always enjoyed doing since I was a kid is drawing stuff. And it's like, well, that doesn't mean it should be your career, right? But it's easy to say, I hate these three things about software engineering, but I hate zero things about drawing. I got to be a drawer. I got to be an artist. And it's like, no, not really. And I know that's not the answer a lot of people want to hear because it's really popular to say, follow your passion. But there's so many people that followed their passion straight into their parents' basement, There's, but they don't have microphones and they don't have 
uh, multi-million dollar companies that have a platform. So when we hear somebody like Mark Cuban say, follow your passion, it's because he honestly doesn't know what else to say other than work really hard. Uh, and yeah, I guess follow your passion and no one really argues with it. But if you were to deconstruct these high performers and, and high performers and happy people, it's generally not just that simple. It's not. Mm, mm. I'm so glad you're saying this because I think that's so important. I mean, it definitely wasn't simple for me. And I, people are like, oh my gosh, how'd you get to where you are? And I'm like, um, okay, well, it's been 12 years. So let's put that in perspective of how, yeah. how long I've been working on this. When I quit my job in, in entertainment, I followed my passion, which was um, fitness. And I became a personal trainer. And then I'm like, oh my God, I hate this. Like my hobby has turned into my job and it's definitely not what I want to do. And so I really had to, I, I struggled for a while and I really had to kind of, it was a process of elimination. It wasn't just like, oh, Eureka, this is what it's going to be. And then it really was, really was a lot of hard work. I didn't love it all the time. It wasn't like it was this blissful, passionate pursuit and everything just lined up. And, and I'd love you to talk a little bit more about that because you run one of the most successful podcasts out there. I mean, there's a lot of podcasts, but Art of Charm is like cream of the crop, always top ranked. And, you know, that wasn't just luck. You worked and that wasn't just because you were passionate. You worked really, really hard. So can you talk a little bit? Can you pull the curtain back and really talk about what it takes? Yeah, yeah. So I've been doing the show for almost 10 years. And I don't mean almost because it's six years and it's I'm saying no, it's like next month. It's 10 years in. And that's in a tech field, in podcasting and broadcasting. I was on Sirius XM for a while. And a lot of folks will look at this and go, oh, my gosh, there's there's so much time involved. You know, what 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 does it take? Just like you'd ask me. And, and I'll tell you, in the beginning, it was just a hobby. And I had zero expectations that it would become a business. And then a few years in, a few years in, it started to make a moderate profit and then a few years after that, we hired more people and started running our training programs and started doing all that. And we didn't want to turn into one of those dumb internet marketing type companies where every month you're selling some stupid diet pill thing, you know, to, to make ends meet. So we just grew really slow and really deliberately. And we started every year we take certain aspects of the business more seriously, right? So even as, as recent as four plus years ago, I remember sitting in my studio which at the time was a living room. Now I have a, a legit studio that I built in my house. But I remember setting up all this brand new equipment that I had shelled out all of my Christmas spare cash on. This is, you know, 2011 or 12 or something like that. And I just thought, I interviewed Robert Greene, who's wrote uh, 48 Laws of Power, among other books, uh, a really cool author that I've liked for a long time. And he said, what took you so long? to do this. And I said, off the record, Robert, you know, cause he had heard of the show and he'd asked me about the show and we talked a bunch before. I said, off the record, I just didn't really think that this was going to be that serious and I didn't want to waste your time. And he goes, oh man, don't be silly. You know, this would have been a lot of fun. You have a great audience. A lot of people have emailed me about your show. And I just thought, okay, I'm kind of late to the party here. I'm the last one to realize that this is a real thing, but this isn't, this isn't about, uh, humble brags, right? What this is about is we didn't start this to go, I want to be a thought leader on the internet that is popular, which a lot of people are doing that. We started it to deliver the value for other people. And I know that sounds cliche, but really we were looking at other modes of income. We had different types of businesses running uh, underneath the art of charm. And the show was mostly just like, 
a great way to network and connect with people and help people. And that was enough. And we started taking it more seriously and investing in ourselves and investing in more gear and hiring people to show me what the heck I was actually supposed to be doing during an interview. So that's why when you listen to episodes of the show that are five years older than this, you're thinking, holy cow, how did you get survive? You know, and this is an important takeaway because I think a lot of people expect the results to come really quickly, but they also expect to treat their business like a hobby. And in truth, what you need to do is in many ways the opposite of what we did, which is treat your hobby like a business if indeed you want this to be a business. And it will, it, you just accept the fact that it will be less fun than it was before, most likely, um, because there will be actual pressure. And then on top of that, you have to be prepared for the results to come a lot later. So when we were doing the hobby thing, we thought we didn't care about results because there was no such thing. There's no such thing as results in a hobby, right? Other than just having fun. And we didn't treat it seriously. And that was a huge, there, that was half right. Not worrying about the results was half right. But the, uh, the part about, since we weren't worrying about results, treating it like a hobby was not necessarily right. So what you need to be prepared to do is grind and see just virtually no reward for a matter of years. And we don't like that story in, I shouldn't say America, but I, I mean, just, we just don't, and I'll, I'll screw it. I'll say America. We don't like that story. We like, oh, but I follow this guy on YouTube and he just started six months ago and he has 88,000 subscribers and he has so many likes and shares and it's just vanity metrics because it does it is done for ego. And what we were doing originally with AOC had very little to do with ego because we were just some nerdy podcasters that every time anyone asked me what I did, I had to say, so do you know what a podcast is? And then deal with the fact that 70% of the people I asked had no clue. So, <laughs> I mean, I love you it. You ask yourself these questions because otherwise you go down the circle jerk rabbit hole of internet marketing where your Twitter followers, your Facebook likes, all that stuff are all that matters. And I know a lot of thought leaders, influencers, authors, YouTube stars, big time podcasters, actors, whatever you want to call it, marketers. And I'll tell you, there are people that have mil a million or several hundred thousand Facebook, uh, Facebook fans or or uh, YouTube sub subscribers, and they are driving around and use Mazdas, not there's anything wrong with that, but they're not balling out of control like you expect. They're renting those Ferraris for those video shoots. It's, it's smoke and mirrors designed to make you feel like you should be doing what they're doing so that they can sell you a product. And that was a realization that I came to after meeting a lot of these people that largely did not exist when we started our business. Does that make sense? Like 10 years ago, there were people that were like, look how rich I am marketing, but they wanted you to send a, a money order from the drugstore in an envelope, uh, self-addressed stamped envelope to get their how-to Xerox carbon copies because it was 2006 and people weren't selling the lie on the internet. And now the quickest way to get rich on the internet is to tell other people that they can get rich on the internet. Exactly, exactly. Thank you for eliminating that because I think that a lot of people kind of look at at things on the internet and then make themselves feel bad because they're not living up to that and they're not living this fancy life. And so I think authenticity is key. Staying in your own lane is key. Like really looking at what you want to do and what you want to contribute and what's real for you and doing the hard work. Like there was a time in my life where I just stopped following people, unsubscribed everything, <laughs> just like yeah. really lasered in on what I want to do. And that's actually the year I got the idea to start this podcast and just coach people live on the air and have these conversations with with other people like you and, and just bring my 
my uniqueness to it. So that was one of the big personal things I had to get over was the the comparison and the keeping up. And I'm, I'm just wondering kind of on a personal level, what, what, what did you really have to get over? Like, was it self-doubt? Did, were you hard on yourself? Like, was there anything that you had to move the needle on internally to create your external results? Yeah. One of the things, and, and there's probably a lot, but some of the things that I had to get rid of were competing with ghosts. And what I mean by that is we're always comparing ourselves. We're, we're comparing our blooper reel to someone else's highlight reel all the time. And this is even more so along with my last point, this is even more so on the web now because they're deliberately targeting people to do this, right? When it, here in my garage, look at all these books I read and how smart I am and how rich I am is smoke and mirrors to get you to invest in that person's crap. Okay. So it's really tough on you and, and you have to be able, you have to realize that it doesn't matter it, what your speed and velocity is compared to someone else. If you're working in a startup and you're both trying to get critical mass for a service like Uber, right, where somebody who gets market domination early is going to win, that's one thing. But if you're writing a book right now and you're looking at other people writing books, even in a similar niche right now, and you're thinking, oh, no, they have more Twitter followers than me, you're going to start getting distracted by BS. And you have to really, and that might be what you meant by staying in your lane, but you've just got to focus on what you're creating and do deep work and not get distracted by shiny objects. And so what I mean by deep work is, for example, on the Art of Charm podcast, when I have guests on, I will read their books, if, even if there's more than one. I will watch hours and hours of interviews with them. I will go online and look what people are saying about them. I'll look at their social media feeds and see what they're talking about, rel just relevant stuff in that moment. And it takes you know, six, eight, 10 hours to prepare for one guest. And that's deep work. I can't be checking what other people are doing on Twitter and Snapchat and Facebook at the same time because I get distracted and I won't be able to do adequate prep to knock it out of the park and leverage my, use my Archimedes lever, which is my strongest trait, right? My strongest trait is interviewing people and getting the best out of them. Very few people in the world are able to do that well, uh, and especially doing it in podcast format where we have long format and the world is our oyster. Very few people can do that. And so to spend my time checking checking off boxes customer service wise or or we we measuring youtube plays i need to be looking at how i can improve <laughs> my craft and all of that marketing junk can be done later on i love it i love it thank you so much for just being so clear i feel like everybody just got like a big kind of wake up call <laughs> to yeah. to seek the truth both inside themselves and in in terms of how they pursue their business and how they look at the things going on in the world because i think we often can get distracted and we can use oh somebody else is already doing this and look at all the twiddle followers they have what what am i going to do we can use that as an excuse not to go forward and do something but there's billions and billions of people out there so Please don't let anyone else. The only pe person that really stops us is ourselves. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind is that by looking and comparing and competing, that just becomes another distraction and another excuse for why you can't do what you want to do. Exactly. And you're, you're an amazing example of someone who really just 
stopped looking around and focused in and built an incredibly successful company based on working hard and just doing one thing really, really well. And from that one thing, you've been able to grow other things, your courses, your speaking career, all of that. But I think sometimes we can start off with way too much, like way too big of a vision instead of drilling down and focusing on one thing and building it from there. Darn right. Yeah. Awesome. So I know people are going to want more from you, Jordan. Where can they go? I mean, obviously, you can go and listen to Art of Charm podcast. You can listen. I think it was like two years ago you had me on. Still yeah. one of the the best interviewers I've had. I as, as a guest, it was so nice to have somebody who actually read the book and had a pre-conversation with me. And it was like, oh, wow, this guy takes this seriously. So I was very impressed by that. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. The Art of Charm podcast, you're already listening to a podcast or if you're driving, uh, we set this thing up. You can text CHARMED, C-H-A-R-M-E-D, to 33444. And basically what that does is it, we have a little mini course on teaching you how to be a better networker, connector, improve critical thinking skills and stuff like that. And and because uh, a lot of people drive and listen to these shows. Surprise, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's so cool. So you can repeat that. You text what to what? CHARM to? Yeah, you text CHARMED, C-H-A-R-M-E-D, to the number 33444 um, so that you can text and drive. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that, but, but otherwise, you have to tell people, like, go to theartofcharm.com slash challenge. And they're like, uh, hold on, I got to open up a web browser. But everybody, right. let's admit it, people are pretty damn good at texting uh, at red lights. Yes, that's very true. It's very true. Awesome. Such cool stuff. Um, anywhere else people can go to connect with you, Jordan? You know, people can always email me as well. I'm jordan at theartofcharm.com. At Jordan at artofcharm.com and um, the both of those work and I, I I respond it takes me a while but but I get it done yeah you're awesome about connecting with people thank you so much for really walking the talk and and one thing I will say about you because we're friends and I've known you for a while is that you are always really really helpful and you've achieved a lot of success and at the same time you always have an open door and you're always supportive and I find that really inspiring and I really appreciate that so thank you. Well, thank you. I appreciate this opportunity as well.